This is Brian Billick. I'm joined by my partner, Jim Mora, and welcome to the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's a sure sign of good time. Here we go. Jim, uh, boy, it seems like every show we start, this has to become uh, – we're, we're going to be on the payroll of the Philadelphia Eagle broadcast unit because all we talk about is the dream team's now one-in-four start. Um, let's try to make some sense of this thing. Well, it, it's uh, – you know, first of all, I don't like the dream team label that we've all given them because I think that was a product of Vince Young coming in there and putting a label on them that, boy, I'm sure they're all just going, God, get that away from us now. But you did the game yesterday. I did their game last week. So both of us have kind of a sense of where they are as a football team, both psychologically, emotionally, and physically on the football field. And it's a very talented football team. There's a lot of good football players, but it's not clicking for them. You know, they're turning the ball over on offense. They're not doing the things fundamentally on defense that good teams do in order to win. You know, they're not tackling well. Um, sometimes in their coverages, they're a little bit discombobulated. You know, I think we both said it. We see a quick fix. We just don't know whether or not that can happen. Yeah, the old Marv Levy, it's simple. But not easy. Yes, Simple to identify, but not easy to execute. I guess, you know, last week we focused so much on some of the schematic things that they Mm -hmm. need to do. What jumped out at me was just the raw fundamentals, tackling, missed tackles that left them vulnerable, holding on to the ball. Um, Jason Avant's a good football player, but a couple that he kind of teed up that turned into potentials or to scores or to putting them in position to score. You know, Michael Vick's numbers, although the, the yardage looks great, the turnovers weren't all Michael. Now, he was mm-hmm. responsible for a couple of them, but he was victimized by a couple tips. Uh, shaky line protection. You started uh, King Dunlap on the left side, his first start. They put uh, their first-round draft choice, Danny Watkins, in at guard next to Kelsey, also a rookie. That showed up a little bit. It's just a team that right now is not fundamentally sound on a lot of levels. No, you're right. And, you know, what I saw, Brian, a couple weeks ago in terms of the ball security, and we know that the number one determinant in winning and losing a football game is is turnover ratio, taking the ball away and protecting the ball. And I, I did the San Francisco game. And early in the game, I made a comment on about three successive plays where I felt like the Eagles receivers and backs were not securing the ball properly. It was coming out on contact, but they weren't losing it. They were recovering it, or it was down by contact. And then late in the game, and I made the comment, I said, they, their ball security is not good, and this could come back and hurt them. And what ended up happening late in the game is that, in fact, there was a play where I believe it was Macklin running down the field, and here comes Justin Smith, and he pops it out from behind, and darned if that wasn't the play that lost the game for him, ultimately lost the game for him. There was many plays in the game. So, yeah, it's the fundamentals. And then tackling on defense, Brian. I mean, if you can't tackle on defense, you can't play defense. And tackling on defense, to me, is a lot of want to. It's being willing to, to, to lay out and make a play, put your shoulder pads on somebody, put your chest on somebody, bring your arms, roll your feet through. And too many times I've seen guys that almost look like they're unwilling to tackle, and that bothers me. Well, and the game ended on kind of a unique – they were in position – uh, to uh, a couple things that happened. At the end of the half, and you talk about that discipline and being fundamentally sound. At the end of the half, uh, they had gotten the ball back, uh, the one turnover by uh, uh, Buffalo. Michael Vick takes him down in a scoring position. There's 11 seconds left. Take a shot to the end zone, nothing going. Eight seconds left. Now, we've both been in that situation where it's tough to, okay, do you go ahead and just take the field goal 
Uh, we don't have time because we have no timeouts. We have no time to run the field goal team on. So it's either a shot to the end zone or let's just kick the field goal right now. And they chose to take a shot to the end zone. Michael Vick shuffled up. And you know what he was told. And Michael Vick knows, look, this has got to be a drop, shuffle, throw, or nothing. Leave us one second to try a field goal. He shuffled, 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 ran a little bit, took a shot to the end zone, time ran out. And and so that's three points conceivably off the board. And at the end of the game, we don't know what it would have led to, but it was a fourth and one, less than a one. Buffalo comes up. Everybody in the stadium knew they were going to try to draw them off sides. The Philadelphia sideline screaming. Everybody knew, and yet here they jump off sides and the game ends because obviously now Buffalo's got a first down with no timeouts by Philadelphia. Those little, they're little things. No one play costs you, but I think it is symbolic of where they're at. Well, sometimes when things aren't going well and guys start to press, they start to do too much or they start to overthink it, and you end up with those types of errors. And, and you know, Andy Reid has been there a long time, and he's been a really, really fine football coach. You know, I don't think they could do much better than Andy Reid there, but I think it brings up the question of, you know, can you overstay your welcome as a head football coach? You know, I, I had mentioned this to you before the broadcast that I was with my dad in his last couple of years in New Orleans, his last five years to be exact. And, and those were years uh, – he, he actually coached ten and a half years in New Orleans. And so I saw how – I saw th- the chemistry between he and the fans and the media change later on in his career and how difficult it became to be the head coach of that team and to have a new message for the media and have a new message for the fans and even at that time before free agency have a new message for your team and I I guess the question is 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 how long is too long yeah and it's a tough one when when I was fortunate enough to put the 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 book the winning edge together with Bill Walsh and and he talked about it at great length Bill believed that 10 years was the limit for a lot of different reasons. Now, you're right. That was pre-free agency. Mm -hmm. So you did have your team together longer. But whether it's the team, the owner, the media, the fans, you are who you are. There are fundamental core beliefs that you've got to hold to. And you can't get too far afield from that. Yeah, you got to keep the message energetic. But at some point, they're going to wear out on it because there's only so many ways to present it. Um, A little less so now because of free agency. You have so many players flowing through it. I lasted nine years in Baltimore, and I can tell you, yeah, that's a big part of it. It really comes down to how you're doing in year nine and ten. Because right. if, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to last that long, it means you've been pretty good. If not, you're going to be gone long before that. If you are lucky enough to have some success early, you're in, invariably you're going to have that dip. And it's usually about that time. Uh, Bill Cower, you and I have talked about this many times, was out of the playoffs in year seven, eight, and nine. Organization stuck with him. They made the transition. Uh, he ended up going to a Super Bowl. Jeff Fisher, one that, okay, transitioned through to 13, 14, 15, 16 years. But it was the same thing being said. So I think the point you bring up is very, very real for Andy Reid. Andy Reid, you're not going to do better than Andy Reid as a coach. He's done an unbelievable job. But there does come a time, and it's likely going to be something that Andy has to decide. I can't see that organization pushing Andy out the door, but some of the changes that he's going to have to make, if indeed this continues, may be where Andy makes the decision, you know what, there probably needs to be a new voice. And that's a good question, if this continues, because in the NFC East, you know, you've got the Redskins at 3-1, and one, you've got the Giants at 3-2, and two, you've got the Cowboys at 2-2, and two, you've got the Eagles at 1-4. at one and four. You know, I, I'm not ready to count the Eagles out yet. I think they're a very talented team. 
I think that, like you said, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy. But they can get this thing turned around. And I think Andy will take the the, the correct approach and he'll say, okay, listen, let's just put everything aside. Yeah, we're one and four. It is what it is. Let's just forget that and let's just try to win this game. All right, let's win this game that we're getting ready to play. And let's see if we can't just do it one at a time, climb ourselves back into the picture. And I, I think they're capable of it. I don't know if it'll happen, but I think they're capable this of it. This is a much better matchup for them. Uh, they've got Washington. I was lucky enough to do the Buffalo game. I've got their game this weekend uh, at Washington. Buffalo was able to stretch them out in the way that Buffalo does. And that matchup um, didn't necessarily favor Philadelphia, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Even though they've got that talented secondary, Washington's a little more direct in approach, and I think the, the this is going to be a real litmus test for, for Philadelphia because I agree with you. you, you Here you see New York, uh, the Giants, losing at home to Seattle. We don't have who, where's, where's Romo and Dallas going to be? Who knows how that goes? Mm-hmm. Washington looks pretty solid, but if Philly can go in and beat Washington in Washington, then that's going to keep them right, right smack dab in the middle, I think, of this NFC East. And I think they're capable of that. You know, this is a little bit – more uh th- this is what they'd rather see defensively a team that's going to try to run it at them now they, i don't know if that's always true they struggle yeah be bit. careful what you like, ask i know for. you got to be careful what you ask for because they have struggled against the run but i've always felt that you could scheme the run you could scheme to stop the run and if they can do that this week and then they can lock those corners down a little bit more like you and i talked about last week maybe go to more of a, a the cat coverage concept then they, then they can have a real successful game. And really all it takes is just a little shift in momentum, a little shift in mindset. You get that one win that kind of propels you to the next one and then the next one, and all of a sudden people forget about the one and four start. Now, there's only been since 1990 five teams that have started one and four have made the playoffs, and that's out of 100 teams that have started – I'm sorry, there's been 100 teams start one and four, and only five have made the playoffs. So – if you're playing the percentages, it doesn't look good. But hey, five percent of the time it happens. So and maybe, you know, and you know what Andy's saying. Okay, we're going to be that yeah, sixteen. Why, why not us? Why not yeah. us be that team? The biggest matchup I'm looking for, uh, and then we're going to move on here, is Washington can bring some pressure with Arakpo yep. and their young uh, Ryan Kerrigan, who's really playing well, the defensive end out of Purdue. Um, Buffalo is not a team that really could put a rush on without a five, six, seven man rush. With Arakpo and Carrington coming off the edge, you're talking about Dunlap starting on the left side. Again, Watkins in the middle with Kelsey. They can do some things that could put some pressure and bottle up a Michael Vick, put some pressure on, and he got knocked around. So that's going to be the matchup that I'm I'm going to be looking forward this weekend to see. Let's um okay, it's we knew it was coming. You just got to <laughs> set your watch by it. You knew the the Tim Tebow watch was going to begin. Obviously, yep. Denver struggling. Let's talk a little bit about what John Fox will do or what we think he may do from a coaching perspective in making, if indeed they're going to make this transition into Tim Tebow. Well, I think if there's a time to make it, it's right now. They're one and four. They're going into their bye week. Uh, their fans, uh, fans around the NFL want to see this this move made. Uh, we know what Kyle Orton's going to give us. Um, they, they have a clear understanding of who Kyle Orton is and what the future of their team looks if he is their quarterback. They have an opportunity right now in the first year of their regime uh, they're very solidified. John Fox and John Elway are joined at the hip. They have similar beliefs. There's no dysfunction there. Uh, they need to find out exactly what T- Tim Tebow is, and they need to find out if they need to start changing the the image of their team, the, the makeup of their team, the physical makeup of the team, the types of players they're drafting to fit a Tim Tebow, or if 
they give this guy the next uh, the rest of the season, the next 13 weeks or 14 weeks or how, how many games they have left, 11, 11 games. Is he the guy that we can win with or is he not the guy? Can win? I think it's a perfect time to make the move. Yeah, it is. And, and that definition, job one for Denver, and, and possibly they can regroup here. And we are talking about the AFC uh, West and, and the potential maybe to come back in that. But notwithstanding that, uh, they're going to say, well, Tim Tebow gives us the best chance to win going forward. Okay, that's fine, and, and we understand that. But you're, you're exactly right. Job one has to be we cannot get to January in however this season plays out and not know whether what direction we need to go. Mm-hmm. Do we? And it is a fundamental change now. You go with Tim Tebow. Now, and people need to understand when we talk about what we're, when you schematically and, and personnel change to match Tim Tebow, it's not unlike um, uh, the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning. Going with Peyton Manning at quarterback with his style of play, you're signing on to a style of play, a commitment of funds, what you're going to do offensively. And if he disappears, well, we're seeing what happens to the Indianapolis Colts without that dynamic talent. A little more conventional along the NFL lines. Tim Tebow, if you believe he's going to be the guy, if you see in the next 11 weeks we're going to tie our wagon to this guy, you have got to make a fundamental shift in a way that this league has not seen. That's asking a lot of the organization. He better look pretty good between now and then. Well, yeah, and then what's the barometer of good? I mean, I think that they have to look at him and say, number one, does he give us the best chance to win now? But more importantly, number two, can we win a Super Bowl? With this guy, because that's what we're all after. That's the goal. you've got to be able to win a Super Bowl to legitimize yourself in this league, and they have to decide not only is he the best quarterback on their team, but is he the best chance for us to have a chance to win the Super Bowl? And they're going to have a chance to find out, Brian. I mean, it, it looks like that they make that move. You know, you've got to make it for the long term. You've got to ride it out. I don't know if you go back to Orton at some point if Tebow's faltering, or if you go to Brady. I think you, 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 if you put Tebow in, you write it out, and you find out exactly what he is and exactly what he can mean to the future of your franchise. And you made a key point, the, the leadership of John Fox and John Elway, right. to have a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, they, and we've said this many times. You know, Yeah, you may be the head coach or the general manager or whatever. This is an organizational decision. You don't just walk in and say, okay, this is what we're doing. You talk about it with your coaches. You talk about it with your general manager. You better talk about it with your owner as well. Say, look, this is the direction we're going. To have John Elway as that resource legitimizes whatever decision they make because of the perspective he brings as being a Hall of Fame quarterback whether Tebow is good or not good, whether they decide to go in another direction, that's a huge resource for John Fox to be able to tap into because the fans, the media, everybody about it will recognize, okay, you went about it in a certain way. It was quarterback-friendly in the approach, even though John Fox is a defensive-minded coach and, and all that goes with it. Um, I think that combination is going to be key for him. Yeah, I do too. I think that uh, he gives them a lot of credibility, John Elway does. And he will have a role in this decision. You know, this is, as you said it, Brian. I don't know that people always understand that you don't. The coaches don't just make these decisions. Organizations make these decisions. Well, let's let's go on to another. We always seem to focus on the team struggling, but uh, uh, that you don't know, like in life. It's the most compelling story sometimes. Uh, the New York Jets. You know, next to the dream team, this was going to be the team. This was guaranteed the Super Bowl. Make your arrangements. Here we go. And uh, they have struggled at late. I think we need to recognize first, particularly the last two weeks, before people go too crazy about the Jets, um, they played some pretty good football teams the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Baltimore Ravens, the New England Patriots. Uh, The week before that, Oakland. The most surprising thing, I guess, to me with the Jets 
is the way people have been able to run the ball on them. That is totally uncharacteristic of a Rex Ryan coach defense. I, I agree. Now, I think they're going to get it squared away. I like the Jets. I think they're a good football team. I like what Rex Ryan does with that team in terms of building their confidence and keeping their confidence up. But when I watched the game on Sunday, what I saw was a defense late in the fourth quarter that I think got bullied. And, you know, that is not something that you would think that you would ever hear about the New York Jets defense, that they got bullied. They're the bullies. They're the guys that are taking the fight to the other team. And I felt like they got bullied around a little bit. And that gives me pause for concern. But I still think this is a really good football team. I still think they'll get it squared away. You know, I have a lot of confidence in Rex. I have a lot of confidence in those players. But they need to do it fast because – Ben Jarvis Green Ellis going for 136 yards on that defense. Uh, they gave over 150 yards rushing. Like I said, getting bullied. That is not a good sign, especially when your M.O. is stop the run, put them in third and long so we can turn it loose and rush the passer. Yeah, and the fact that it was the New England Patriots, beyond the fact of division rival. Um, re- remember, going into this, the big discussion was, well, have the New England Patriots become too soft? Are they too much of a finesse team? Is this small ball mentality that Tom Brady is running, uh, is that not conducive to in, in a situation where you're going to play a team like the New York Jets and it come down to something like that uh, and to let that quote-unquote finesse team and I think your term is exactly right. They got bullied. The, and how do you confront a bully? You go up and you smack him in the face. Yeah. You bully a bully, and that's exactly what New England did. And it's a bit of surprise. You expect uh, Baltimore do that. You, you were surprised, but you knew if they were going to win that Oakland would do it because they run the ball right, well, and that's going to be their M.O. But the New England team doing it, I think, has to present legitimate concerns. Well, quietly, the Patriots the last two weeks have become a pretty good run offense. I think they went for 198 the week before. They went for 150-something this week. So, uh, yeah, they can play the small ball, but I think they're showing people that they're also very capable of running the ball. And when they run it on a team like the Jets, who are still a good defensive football team, I think it's a statement. I think the other thing that concerns me about the Jets, Rex Ryan we know brings great pressure. They don't have that one dominant guy. Normally a team that brings great pressure has at least one guy in Chicago. You know, it's a, a, a Peppers, obviously, before he was hurt, obviously, in Houston, Mario Williams, uh, DeMarcus Ware in, in Dallas. You can wrap a lot of things around if you have that dominant guy. Better to have two. Right now, uh, and they've, I think maybe people have caught up a little bit with the fact that you, they really do have to scheme their pressures. And they're going to have to bring in a creative fifth and sixth and seventh guy to get to you. And you know, Brian, that sometimes when you do that, when you have to scheme your pressures, you end up voiding run gaps. And so if people catch you in a pressure, and it's an overload pressure, and they decide they want to run the football, and they call the right play up, you can get gashed. So all of a sudden, you know, what's supposed to be a pretty salty run defense doesn't look as salty because you're trying to create pressure because you're not able to do it with four. Um, well, let's let's move on to a good story. Okay, yeah. we've covered hey, how about a couple. That? How about that? that? And, and a team that we both uh, – have some history with and, and or affection, have a great deal of affection for the San Francisco 49ers, the job that Jim Harbaugh is doing. I guess the thing that jumps out at me is you look at the schedule, and, and we've talked about this many times, Jim. You know, the schedule really does play a factor in your success. How many times, you know, do you have a three-game road stand, a two-game road stand? How many home stands do you have? When, Where is it? Do you go east coast to west coast? For San Francisco – to go to two quasi-East Coast trips, obviously, in going to uh, out to uh, uh, Cincinnati, 
uh, and then going back on the road and having the wins that they did this last weekend, then or the weekend two weekends ago uh, in Philadelphia, the game that you had, to then go home. And I always worried about going home and what how emotionally worn out are you? And how are you going to play at home now that you can finally relax a little bit? You're back in your familiar surroundings. And they just dog-kicked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a way that I don't think either one of us thought they could. You know, I think this team has a lot of belief and a lot of trust in what Jim Harbaugh is asking them to be. Uh, I think it started with their trip to Cincinnati where they got the win on the East Coast. And then they took a week and they stayed on the East Coast. And I'm sure there was conflicting opinions amongst their players as to whether or not that was a good idea or not. But they come back and they beat the Eagles after spending a week out west. So when you do that, when you ask your players to to have some faith in a decision you're making and then it pays off, you come Huge. back from behind Huge. and you beat the Eagles on the road for your second East Coast win in two weeks – I mean, that that buys you huge credibility with your players. And so now you've got some house money that you can play with, and you can ask for some certain things that might be unconventional. And you can tell right. them things, and they're going to hang on every word, and they're going to have Whatever you want, coach. You. Whatever you want, Whatever just you, tell us. It's working. And you hear that when you talk to the, to the San Francisco 49er players is that, you know, hey, we believe in this guy. You know, one of the things that I think was great about them staying on the East Coast is it gave them a chance to spend some quality time together as a team. You know, they weren't going home. They were going back to the hotel for five nights. There was an Olive Garden and a steakhouse across the street, so they were hanging out together. So they got to know each other a little bit better. You know, they didn't have the off season to do that. Now they got a week to really spend time together. You, you saw the story where Jim went and sat and coached on the way home from the Philadelphia game and gave his first-class seat up to one of the offensive linemen. I mean, that stuff really buys you credibility and affection from the players, and they want to play for you, and that's what you're seeing. Now, remember, they've a pretty tough team with Mike Singletary. You know, uh, they, they stress toughness, but now, like you said earlier, I think they're more functional as an organization with Jim. They're playing excellent defense. He brought in Vic Fangio, who I've coached with for a long time, is one of the best defensive coordinators nobody's ever heard of. And, you know, they're doing the things offensively that you need to do to win football games. First of all, they're not run, turning the football over. They're completing a high percentage of passes. Uh, they're staying ahead in the downs. They're not, you know, there's not a lot of pre-snap penalties. Although they, that was a struggle early. They've kind of overcome that. Now they're starting to run the football. Defensively, they're rushing the passer with four. They're taking the football away. They're stopping the run. They're playing good special teams. I mean, they got the formula going. Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier that, that – Players will respect and like the idea. Jim Harbaugh, sixteen years in the league. Okay, we got a we got a, a players coach here. He understands us. But you got to follow that up, and and because Mike Singletary brought the same credentials. Um, but I think what what you're referring to is the fact that there is that passion for the game that's clear cut with Jim. The fact that he's a former pro that the players will respond to. But he's giving them something in the meeting rooms and at practice, like you said with Vic Fangio. He's giving them some answers. Okay, yeah. this is what we need to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Offensively, there's 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 synergy to what they're doing. There's a methodology to what they're doing. Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator in conjunction with Jim uh, and Mike Solari, an excellent offensive line coach. They can see the coordination. The players' confidence will grow. So it's not just, yeah, we think this guy's pretty good and he's a former pro player. You're answering their questions at every turn, and that's giving them the confidence. Players want coaches that can give them answers. Players want to walk into a meeting room and they want want the coach to say, okay, this is what we're going to do this week. We're going to run the football. 
that's our plan, and here's exactly how we're going to do it. We're going to run these plays, and it's going to work because of this. And you're going to do that, and it's going to work. And they want they want you to tell them how you're going to kick the other team's ass. And right now, Jim's telling them, and it's working. All right, Jim, let's talk about a couple of games coming up. You're you're going to be in an interesting game, the New Orleans Saints at Tampa Bay. I can't think of a team. You know, here's New Orleans four and one. Is there any more? Under the radar, no one's talking about team, the New Orleans, and how good are they? And this is uh, for Tampa Bay now. They're getting close to where this is uh, getting real important now. Oh, it's very important. You come off the loss that they had to San Francisco, and they've got to come home and put up a good performance against a very, very good Saints team that is really hitting on all cylinders. You're right, Brian. It's amazing that we're not talking about the Saints you know, every week as being one of the better teams in the National Football League because they certainly are. And how about the way their tight end Jimmy Graham is wow. playing? Uh, spectacular. This guy's had three 100-yard games receiving. He's fourth in the league in receiving yards as a tight end. Um, the last guy to have that kind of productivity in that row was Tony Gonzalez back in 2000. That's pretty rare company. I think it's a legitimate discussion as to whether Jimmy Graham has put himself in the discussion along with, say, a Jermichael Finley as being the best tight end in the game right now. Well, I mean, three back-to-back 100, back-to-back-to-back 100-yard-plus games receiving. And, you know, we felt it last year and in, in doing a couple games last year is uh, Sean Payton would say, hey, I've got this guy named Jimmy Graham. Third-round pick. And he's pretty special. You guys might want to keep your eye on him. And now we're seeing that to be true. Uh, they're playing better on defense. Uh, we always know that Drew Brees is going to be consistent, but quietly they're four at one, four and one. But this will be a tough test for them because Tampa will bounce back. You know they were embarrassed when you get beat the way they got beat on the road. It is embarrassing. We don't like to use the word, you know, hey, we got embarrassed because we went out there and we played our best. No, it's not embarrassing. But you know what? It is embarrassing, and they've got a lot of pride. And uh, I'm really excited to go down there to Tampa and do this game because I think it's going to be a barn burner. Yeah, the thing that concerns me, and they've talked about it, I had their game against Atlanta. They've been starting slow. Mm-hmm. And if they continue to start slow, and you start slow against New Orleans. You can't. Yeah, all of a sudden it's a track mate. Or yeah. even if you're just trading sevens for threes. Can't do that. Yeah, not against New Orleans team. And I don't know that at, at, at Tampa Bay is really built to come back that way. They've, they're have they built for come from behind because they've done it so many times with Josh Freeman, but against an Orland team that's going to keep pace with you, that could get a little dicey. Yeah. Let's talk about Dallas and New England. This is obviously going to be a, a big, big game. Dallas coming off a bye, and boy, did they need it. They needed to get healthy. And uh, New England, we, you know they're a good football team. We've already talked about it. They're running the ball a lot better, and that's going to give Dallas some problems. Well, I think it is, and I, I just think New England right now can beat you either way. They can beat you with the pass, which they throw to, they showed early in the season. They can beat you with the run, which they've, which they've shown the last two weeks. Uh, there's been questions about their defense, obviously, but they somehow find a way to, to, to scrap and scrape and get it done. And I, I think this is going to be really difficult on Dallas to go up there to New England and play in that environment. I just think that, that uh, the Patriots are playing with such great confidence right now and I think Dallas is fragile. You know, I mean, how could they not be? They're so up and down. And if the Patriots can jump out on top of them and maybe get a couple turnovers early, then, you know, you could see Dallas go down in flames. Dallas needs to run the ball better than they have. To me, that's the, the, the crux of their problem in terms of protecting Tony Romo more, setting up that, that physical type of game that they're capable of doing with a big offensive line. That's what they wanted to do coming into the season is have that kind of balance. They've not really shown it. Hopefully after the bye, they're healthy enough. They've 
They've got their weapons there, and certainly getting a Miles Austin back and having a Des Bryant, and you know that that that's key. Losing them was big, and a healthier Tony Romo. But I think the running game is going to be the number one thing they've got to establish. Yeah, well, when you talk about protecting a quarterback, we always talk about protection. You know, is it the protection? Protecting the quarterback starts with run running the football. When you're able to run the football, you can back the pressure off. You can get yourself into more third and manageables or second and manageables. And and you're doing a nice job of, of giving your quarterbacks situations that he can win in. Well, it's going to be fun to watch either way. Coach, It's uh, it's been fun as usual. Uh, this is going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.